Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrapping lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, followed him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrapping lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrapping, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Then she told them all the things that he had said to her. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. I don't know how many times you've heard that reading. Me? Heaps. Some of you a lot more times than I have. We've heard it often, and it's hard to know what to do with such an extraordinary story. The church asks us to believe in the resurrection, asks us to believe that Jesus was dead and that some new event happened and the same Jesus, but different, was alive again. And it's not a straightforward story. It's not that Jesus was dead and now he's back, the same as he was. Because in each of the stories, and we have four of them from the four different Gospels, in each of them, Jesus isn't easily recognisable, even though they had lived with him for years and he'd only been dead a couple of days. When he appears, they don't quite understand who he is. So whatever is happening in the resurrection, it's really complicated. 
And we don't know what to do with it because we're very good at working out materiality. We, we work very hard at understanding how things work. But we're not very good. We don't know how to deal with non-materiality. One of the great questions in science at the present time is, what is the mind? We know what the brain is. It's a little grey, mushy organ in the middle of the body, in the middle of the head. And we understand that, but we know that we have a mind, but we, we just don't know how to find it, or where it is, or what it looks like, or what it, how you could even describe it. Even though it's real, it's an, a non-material reality that we all live with, but can't explain. Uh, just as most of the things that motivate us are non-material, they can't be explained. We can be motivated to extraordinary lengths by love, by hate, by shame. And, and you can't find these things. No exam will find how much shame you feel or how much love you have. It's just not there in any material sense, but it is essentially real to us. Maybe that's the only way we can approach the resurrection. It's got to be more than just a collection of facts or a statement of beliefs that we say and just sort of have there as something we, it, it, as something which just sort of sits there. It must be of relevance to us in this moment, in every moment. Let me give you an example. I bet you all know what this is after last week. They're the flying buttresses on the Cathedral of Notre Dame. There's a big argument about whether they were put on in the very first time, in probably the late 11th or early 12th century, or whether they were put on 100 years later. Well, actually, these weren't, because these were put on in the 14th century, the big flying buttresses that are there now. And well, that's kind of interesting. It doesn't seem like the relevant thing to be talking about right now if you're going to talk about Notre Dame. Does it? It just doesn't... Well, you know, that is an interesting thing. I don't know where the flying buttress is, whether you like them or not, whether they should be... I can imagine the building committee when they decided they're going to have to put these flying buttresses on. Are they ugly or are they beautiful? Well, who knows? But they're there now. And But that's not the, the story. The story... There's another one of them. This is the story we want to talk about now, isn't it? Because it's relevant to this moment. It's what's the experience that we have of it at this moment. We're asking, and you can read this in any news broadcast, what does this mean for France that Notre Dame has been damaged so badly? What does it mean for the rest of the world? What is it evoking for us? They're the questions that we want to deal with now. You might be interested in the buttresses, but what is the facts and the figures aren't really at the heart of what's going on now. And what does it mean that, that it burnt down at Easter time? Well, it's coincidental, but it kind of evokes something, doesn't it? Something extraordinary in history has somehow vanished or been so badly damaged that it might. Maybe that's how we're supposed to experience the resurrection, not as a bunch of facts, but as something that we engage with, like we do with a work of art, which, to, in one sense, uh, the, the Cathedral of Notre Dame is. 
the, uh, there's something about a work of art that you don't ask it what it's about. You ask it what is your experience of it. You've all seen the Mona Lisa. Actually, we haven't all seen it, but I bet most of you have seen an image of it, a photograph of a, pho- of a painting, which is an image of a woman. We don't know which woman, but we do know that Leonardo da Vinci painted it. That's an accepted fact. But we don't have access to it as it is. It's actually behind a sheet of glass if you go to the Louvre, behind bulletproof and shatterproof and all kinds of other proof glass. We don't have access to it, but we can experience it. I'm sure it's the same with the stories of the resurrection. First of all, we have four stories, and they're all different. And you can't sort of bolt them together, they don't fit. Four different experiences of what happened following the death of Jesus. We've all heard these different versions. And... They can get a bit boring if you hear them year after year. If you've seen images of the Mona Lisa, you're as likely to have seen it on a tea towel as you are in reality. It just, it's one of those images. I, I can see it in, in, on the internet or in, and I don't even bother looking at it. I've seen it before. I, I know what it looks like. I've read these stories many times. I know what they're about. It's easy to get kind of jaded by them. But what if what they're saying to us is something really deep that they're inviting us into a conversation. You don't go in front of a really wonderful painting and say, what does this painting mean? Well, you might. And if you're with someone who does that, maybe just move a little bit away from them because it's boring. It's not the right... There might be some interesting questions in there, sort of for later. But the question about art, a piece of art is... What is it doing for you? What is it evoking? What is the experience you're having when you're in front of it? With the Mona Lisa, of course, we, one of the things we wonder is what she's thinking. That particular smile that has um, been important in world painting ever since... Well, probably ever since it was painted, but certainly ever since it was stolen. You know, the Mona Lisa was stolen in uh, 1911, I think, um, and somebody nicked it for two years and tried to sell it to the um, cathedral, to, to the museum in Florence where they believed it belonged. It was a, somebody who worked in the Louvre. and Anyway, they eventually got it back, and, and it, it got such a, a huge amount of press coverage that it became the world's most famous painting. But what does it evoke? When we hear the stories of the resurrection, we can ask questions about what actually happened and there's no answer to them. Not that we can make sense of, because each of the stories is quite different. But the stories that we, the story we just read had three people in it, other than Jesus. And if you don't count the angels, whatever the heck they are, there are three people in it. Simon, Peter, the disciple that Jesus loved, is only named that way, and Mary Magdalene. Simon and the disciple that Jesus loved, it says they believed. They went in and they saw Jesus wasn't there and they believed. But then it says they didn't understand. What they believed was what they saw. Jesus isn't there. He's obviously been stolen. Someone has taken his body. He he was a problem person all the way along in his life. He would be a problem person in death. It would make sense to steal the body and somebody must have done it. So they believed. 
but it was the wrong thing. They went home and that was it. And then Mary, she's there too. She experiences something, but she interprets it incorrectly. She experiences some moment of importance and she thinks this person that she's with is someone else, the gardener. So whatever the resurrection is about, it's going to be easy to misinterpret it. Two people do it immediately. The second person, sorry, the third person has this experience, Mary Magdalene, and completely gets it wrong. She misses it completely. She misidentifies it. But finally, she's able to say, I have seen the Lord. And in John's Gospel, seeing is more than just something you can do with your eyes. It's a deep experience. And if you look up the word seeing in John's Gospel, it's about five, it's used about five times as much as it's used in any of the other Gospels. Seeing, being seen, looking, it's all about something much deeper than just what you can do with your eyes. It's an experience. Somehow, Mary had experienced in recognising who she was talking to. A deep insight, a deep, if you like, a a, a revelation, or some faiths would call that the enlightenment. And Jesus himself had said, if you've seen me, then you've seen God. If you've seen me, you've seen everything that there is to see. You have an insight into the meaning of everything. So whatever the, re- the, the, the resurrection is, it's a deep insight into the true meaning of life. And one of the meanings of it that we know, and the resurrection tells this story, is that death is not death. It's change. That the bits of the universe that are making up you at the moment, as we know very well, will one day not be making up you, but will be making up something else. Hopefully, if we're all buried beautifully and not cremated, um, you know, if we've learned a different way of doing things, our bodies will become part of the earth and something good will grow from us. But whatever happens, the bits that are you now will be something else because they were something else before they got to be coalesced into you. Nothing ever goes away. It just changes. So one story the resurrection wants to tell us is that change is going to happen all the time. And if you can see... You can experience it deeply. You can see not a gardener, but the one that you always loved, in Mary's case, the Jesus that she always knew and always loved and reconnected with it. She said, I have seen the Lord, finally. After seeing the gardener after seeing an empty tomb, after seeing the rock gone, after seeing Jesus being killed, after seeing all of these things, she finally is able to say, I see a true, deep experience of life and of love. And if the resurrection is anything, regardless of whether you understand what the facts of it are, and they're truly difficult to experience from the text... The experience is of being present to God, the universe, everything that God does to bring new life into being. And that's what we celebrate when we do Easter, year after year after year. And we've got to keep doing it because it's an extraordinary experience to know that life is springing up.
And we are examples of it. So be it.